I always tell my team, focus on what you can control. I can't control that a hurricane happened. I can't control that we get earthquakes. I can't control what happens in the government. I have no control over those things. I do have control in how I react. I do have controls in the decisions I make. I have control in the way I treat people after that. I have control in the way I view things differently. I have control in the way I decide to find a way. Champions find a way, losers make excuses. I do truly believe that when we really want something, we always find a way. I didn't let one summer define me, and I don't think anybody should let one summer, one campaign, one year truly define them. If you truly want something, you will find a way. The voice you just heard is David Vargas Roldan, a young leader who has already experienced more challenges in a few years than many experience in their entire career. David is the Cutco Vector Manager in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And in just the last four years, the island has experienced devastating hurricanes, powerful earthquakes, months without power, and riots against the government. On several occasions, David has had to close his office for an extended period of time. But David has the resolve of a champion. During the same four-year period, he has developed a powerhouse organization in Puerto Rico. His San Juan office won the Silver Cup in 2020 as the company's number one office in the Premier League competition. And David was recently promoted to assistant division manager for the Florida Caribbean division. This is a story of triumph over challenge, which will undoubtedly leave you feeling inspired to overcome whatever obstacles lie in the way of what you want. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories, and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is David Vargas Roldan, the district manager in San Juan, Puerto Rico with Cutco and Vector Marketing. Uh, David has been in the business since 2013. He went straight from rep to branch, ran a branch in Maya West, Puerto Rico in 2014, continued to advance with the company, uh, became a district manager in 2017. And so 2020 was David's fourth year as a district manager, and he became a Silver Cup champion with our company number one district manager in what's called the Premier League with over $934,000 in new business sales for the year. He was also over $1.3 million in total business sales for the year. That was number four among all district managers in the company. And his district team, which included some really prolific branch managers, sold over $2.1 million. That was number two in the entire company. So a tremendous year great leadership, and he has an awesome story to share. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today, David. Thank you for uh, being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Dan. It's, it's truly a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Well, I want to hear a little bit about you first, David, because I don't know you very well, and I would like to know a little bit about your personal story. So tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Uh, I am born and raised in Puerto Rico. Uh, I am from the west side of the island, a town called Aguadilla. I studied in, in Puerto Rico. I studied in Maya West. I have, uh, well, I studied animal science with a minor in pre-vet. I did want to become a veterinarian at one point. So that's what I did for like four to four years and a half uh, during college. But then, you know, it wasn't for me. So here we are now. <laughs> so you wanted to be a veterinarian originally? I did. 
many, yeah. many moons ago. How did you end up uh, starting with Cutco? I was actually, I was recommended by one of my housemates because I did want to have the entire college experience. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to live in a dorm with a lot of people. That looks really fun in movies. Uh, so I live with like nine people. And one of them recommended me to the job because I, I was looking for a job. I didn't want to buy an Xbox. Plus, I wanted to help out a little bit around the house and all that stuff. So got recommended, went for an interview, uh, was super nervous, super scared. And, you know, uh, was definitely not in the top of the class, you know, was not prepared again. I was an animal major student. So most of my clothing required to be very loose and not really fit for an office, but I did my best and that that's how I started. Yeah. And who was your original manager? My original manager was Grace Bellis. Uh, yeah, she, oh. I started in her office, her district office before she moved on to like kind of a CSP role. And then later on, uh, she became my district again. Yeah. So Grace was your original manager and this is a uh, summer of 2013, right? Was yes. it the summer yes, when you so. started? And what, like, tell us a little bit about some of the uh, initial experiences you had and what you feel like you learned. I think my biggest lesson that summer, I, I, I ended up tipping 20K that first summer. I was also taking summer classes. So I did a part-time uh, around calculus and another summer class I was taking at the time. And I learned a lot. I think my biggest lesson was that anybody can truly learn how to sell anything. And it's really not an art, it's a science. Because, you know, I come from a background where business is not really talked about. My entire family works nine to five, government jobs, or like very that very traditional Puerto Rican lifestyle. It's uh, you're born, you study, you work, and then you retire. So that was definitely one of the first steps I took on to like, anybody can truly learn how to sell. Anybody can truly learn how to talk to people because I'm very introverted. I used to be the quiet guy. I stayed in the back. You know, I didn't really have that much self-confidence. So that's the biggest lesson I gained from that summer. Part of the biggest reason I stayed in the company. Mm. You know, I think a pretty remarkable number of successful vector managers are introverts and that there are certainly a lot of great advantages that introverts have in terms of listening skills and connecting with people that make a big difference as well. So I don't think that introversion versus extroversion is necessarily a success factor for somebody that determines whether they can be great in vector. And it's awesome to see you succeeding Completely at the high, highest level and you're you know, introverted. And uh, on the other end of the spectrum, we've got guys like Brian Hurlman, who I know you work well with, that, uh, you know, is the, the far end it's of extroversion. Machine. Right, right. And that's great. And both types of people can succeed in leadership, which I think is really an important, important distinction. What else stands out from your early experiences with the company that, uh, that you remember? If I were to like pick one, I learned that if you truly want to learn how to do something if you truly want to learn how to try something you actually find a way to do it you just have to be willing to give it a try because i feel a lot of people say like oh yeah i want to try this i want to do that but they're not they don't really give it a true try they say they're going to do it they they act like they're going to do it they ask the right questions they you know they have all the information but when it comes to actually doing the actions uh, you know they just back out and i, I saw that not with myself uh, but with the other people that actually came in with me into the business and then said like, oh yeah, it's just not for me or whatever. But I, I saw them on the behind the scenes, not even truly trying, you know, they, they asked all the questions, they, they did all the things, but then they, they never amounted to anything because they didn't, you know, give it a shot. So. Yeah. I, I think the intent with which we get into things is really a critical part of what ends up happening because a lot of people, they view trying something as like dipping the toe in the pool. And yeah. that's never really going to amount to any sort of success. Whereas others decide they're going to get into something to produce a specific result. They're going to try until they figure something out. They're going to master something. They're going to really work at it. And certainly that, that commitment level makes a huge difference. I've learned as a leader to call people out when I can see the like, weak-minded approach, right? You've probably had this experience, David, of where you, you, yep. you're talking to a rep and you say, hey, so, so can you do this? And they're like, well, I'll try. 
And you could tell by their tone of voice that they're, they're not going to do it. Right. Like I will always call that out and I'll say, wait a minute, are you going to try or are you going to do it? Right. Cause trying means trying means you're not going to actually commit. Right. So are you going to commit? Like calling people out is important and helping them make sure that they commit to doing things. Yep. No. And I, I think another prime example is I think when the second I truly decided to, you know, give it a shot, truly try, I think it's in the alliances. That's why I value alliances so much, especially during those, you know, key times in our business, because that's how you see like who's actually going to give it that extra shot, who's going to give it that extra mile. You know, that when I remember my first alliance, when I sold 10K, it was the moment where I said, you know what, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to do it right. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to say I tried. I would rather try and fail than not even just always think of the what if happened or what would have happened if I actually gave it a shot. So yeah. I think that's just another great view of like dipping the the toe instead of like just jumping into the pool. All yeah, exactly. So Exactly. So you went straight to branch manager at your second summer. When you branched, uh, what was that experience like? It was tough. It was exciting. I was not the best. I actually think I ended up being the worst branch in the entire company. My entire branch sold 14K. I sold personally of those 14, uh, four. So my, technically my office only sold 10. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, technically, David, you weren't the last one in the report, but I was actually trying to run the office. You know, I had 60 reps. I recruited 60 reps that summer, which is not a, you know, explosive number, but for a first time branch and very small territory, I, I, I was happy. I, I actually had one of the, the biggest teams in like SC1, I think. And I came in with like a group of 20, 30 kids that basically sold 2K. <laughs> and I had a PPR for like, uh, I think my PPR for that summer was a hundred bucks, 166. <laughs> and that was the moment where I'm like, I don't know anything yet. Um, so I definitely can get better. So l- look, I understood that you struggled as a branch before even asking that question. I didn't understand the depth of your struggle. Like that's, that's pretty that, bad. That's bad. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, I yeah. laugh at it now because at the moment it was very stressful. I, I remember crying during SC2 to Jessica. I remember her telling me, you know, me crying, me saying like, I, I suck. Like, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. Like I tried and I give my best. And I'm, she, I remember she sitting down with me and I don't know if you ever met Jessica, but she's like very strong character person. She's like, David, 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 one, don't cry. Okay. Two, did you learn something? I'm like, yes. And then she was like, okay, do you feel like you can get better? Yes. Do you see what you did wrong? So many things. Awesome. Then you're not done here yet. Okay. And I I remember those words really impacted me. And I I still use them with my team to this day. Whenever people are like struggling with themselves, it's like, if you know you can get better, if you know you you made mistakes, that means you're just not done yet. And we, you know, she told me like, we definitely have the resources here to teach you what you don't know. So, That's like, it's uh, a great story. And David, as, as you were talking about this, I was reminded of a branch manager I had who came out of my office. Uh, this is a guy I trained in initial training. So it was like really connected to me. He was an assistant manager in my d- division pilot office for a summer and, you know, saw all this success. And then he went out and branched and really, really, really struggled as a branch. One of the lowest performing branch managers I've had who kept his mind in the game, regrouped, went out and branched again two years later, and won the silver cup as a branch two years later. And I just I love stories like that because it indicates to anybody that where you might be right now is not nearly as important as continuing to make progress, continuing to learn and evolve that someone can go from having, as you put it, the worst branch in the company, which it may or may not have been. But yeah. from there on to winning a silver cup this year with a $2 million district, like that's amazing, an amazing turnaround. And it says a whole lot about you. So that's pretty cool to hear. I also love hearing stories like that because I, I didn't let one summer define me. And I don't think anybody should let one summer, one campaign, one year truly define them. Even if, even if it's, it, it doesn't matter if it's a good or a bad one, 
like I look back and one of my biggest lessons is that yes, we had we sold one point three million dollars this year, but you know, I'm I, I feel like I'm not I at least I hope I'm not letting that summer or this vision or how I am right now define how I am as a person. Cause I do still feel that I have space for growth. So yeah, that's, that's why I truly value the lessons I learned from that summer. Yeah. You said something pretty compelling there about don't let any one summer or any one year or any one ex- experience define you. I think when you struggle or fail at something, it's really, really important not to let that define you. It's really, really important to search for what were the lessons what were the things you did well? What can you improve upon? What's next? Those sorts of things. Now, on the other side of the coin is when you succeed, right? You should, to some degree, give yourself credit for what you did right there and let yourself feel some credit so that you feel like, hey, I am a $1.3 million manager. I am a great leader. I am you know, a highly capable achiever in this business and in life. And so I think when you're having success, there's some element of allowing it to define you that just doesn't mean to get complacent and to just think you'll automatically do the same amount of business next year just because, right, it, it just always happens that way. But you should take in and let the successes that you have build on each other and build up your view of yourself in this business and as a leader and and as a person. I think that's important. That's how success breeds more and more and more success down the road. I completely agree. I am incredibly proud of my office, my team, the work they did, and we put into the $1.3 million a year. And every time I say it, and every time I know my team is going to get that silver cup and we're going to hold it up high in pride. We're going to show it off every time. And we're probably going to run the interviews with it now, so from now till forever. So yeah, we are definitely proud of, of how far we've grown. Yeah. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's great to hear. Well, let's talk a little bit about this past year because, you know, as you've referenced, your office sold $1.3 million. Uh, you won the Silver Cup in the DM Premier League, your district was over $2 million in sales, which is one of the highest totals ever recorded uh, as far as a district team. There's not very many district teams that have been over $2 million ever. So you're one of them now. What do you feel like are some of the success factors that stand out for you in 2020? If I would boil it down into one thing, it's uh, the relationship I built, um, the relationship I have with uh, my team, not just my staff team in my office personally, but also my district team. And it's the intent we go into the summer for us, $1.3 million a year. So we planned it for like all 2019. I told my team, I remember the conversation. I remember the staffer. I don't know. I don't care what happens in 2020, but we're going to sell over a million dollars. We are going to beat, you know, the record in the island. We're going to beat the record in the office. I remember us sitting down and really hunkering down. And and it, it came after a conversation with Scott, actually my region manager. And I remember we were in a millionaire DM team, which is a group we have in the East region. And I remember Scott sitting us all down doing projections of what every office was going to sell. And I remember Scott telling us like, so yeah, in San Juan, maybe you guys will sell a million dollars in like two years. I don't really see it next year. And I remember being so mad. (laughs) <laughs> like, I remember being so mad. And I remember right after that, um, I remember a conversation you mentioned, Brian Holman. It was Brian Holman. It was at P Banquet. We were all at P Banquet having fun and whatever. And he said, like, yeah, my development, Joseph Cost, is actually going to sell a million dollars this year. David, you want to throw money in that he'll beat you? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to I'm gonna ship a million dollars. I don't know what, what you guys are going to do. Um, <laughs> we didn't actually end up throwing money. I remember I just take one. I'm like, okay, whatever. But I remember coming back from that conversation also like, so Scott doesn't think I'm going to hit a million. You know, other DBMs don't think I'm going to hit a million. We're going to ship way over a million. I'm going to make, I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't care how we're going to do it. We're just going to do it. And I, we did have the plan. I legit spent 2019 making like this huge ass plan, this huge ass case for growth. I presented it to everybody. I remember presented it to Jeff. And Jeff was basically a little one saying that, okay, let's do it. And, you know, I think having a plan, having a clear goal and just having that, sharing that with my team and getting them on board with that goal 
the relationships I built with them to make them feel like there were some days that I know my team and I, this is why I love my staff. I remember one week we were supposed to have, for us to have a million dollar year, we were supposed to have a hundred K week during SC2. And we shipped 93K. And I remember my staff just sitting down and they were crying. They were tears sobbing. They were hugging each other. I'm like, what's wrong? What's happening? And they're like, David, we didn't sell 100K. I'm so sorry. And they just started crying and bawling and bawling. And I'm like, what is happening here? So it's just... You know, there was just that commitment to the goal, not because of one specific person. It's just that the relationship was built and and the vision was shared. I did share like, hey, I want the entire island to sell 2.5. And even though the island actually, you know, my district uh, is only sold 2.1, but the entire island sold 2.8, a little bit closer to 3 mil. Wow. Um, I always share that goal with my other districts, even though they weren't counting for me anymore. I, I, I had constant conversations with them. You know, I built my relationship with them. So it's just that focus, that, that camaraderie of like being together and, and really f- focusing on the goal. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. It, it, you know, I'm thinking back about what you said about Scott. Scott has uh, brilliant ways of motivating people that he works with. And he, he knows how to get into the head of anybody to get them motivated and fired up. And I'm sure there was a method to his madness. I am aware of the standings for offices and the fact that the Eastern region had seven of the top 11 district offices in the company for 2020, all over $1.1 million. And that you were you know, amongst that group. So it's an incredible group. And it says a lot about Scott's leadership. And it certainly says a lot about the influence of people like you and the others that all help drive each other forward. So it's pretty cool to see uh, what you all did there. No, yeah. Scott definitely knew how to motivate me. So we laugh about it now. But at the moment, I was mad. But uh, I'm kind of happy he did at the same time. It, it lit a fire. Yeah. And I can go on record to say that you beat Joseph Koss for the year. Um, I'm looking at that standing right now. Joseph will probably listen to this and hear that and get a little fired up. Don't worry, Joseph, you'll be on the podcast yourself at some point. But uh, Joseph did 1.1 million for the year, which is incredible as well for a first full year district manager. And I'm sure that uh, he is clearly one of our company's rising stars also. So you got great company out there in your region that are doing a lot of big things. With the, it's definitely a fun group to work with. Uh, it's definitely an interesting group, and and we do keep each other on our toes, which is what I love. Yeah, that's a, that's exciting to have, and I, I think for anybody in Vector who's listening to think about the reference group that you're creating, and who are you talking to, and who are you leveraging to drive yourself forward. Uh, it's really important to have people like that. So, and that that Eastern Region group of million dollar. Managers includes uh, Mike Abramowitz, Chris Herlman, Amir Habash, Andy Noggle, Joseph Koss, uh, Darren Gardner, and you. What an incredible group. What about David when we talk about success factors? Because you had an incredible branch average. Two of the top five, I think, branches in the company came from you. What, uh, what were some success factors there? I think that that comes to. Uh, two or three things. One, I do have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, you know, Jeff runs the the TLA program, the management program, whatever people call it right now. Um, we call it TLA. So he he truly does a great job of making people feel prepared, of giving them the right tools that they need to go out and truly kill in whatever spot they have. What I think I can add value into my development is one, the way I'm so open with them and the way I, I truly try to help them through the entire process. You know, I feel like a lot of times once somebody branches or districts, they it's like, well, you're a branch or a district, it's your office, do as you will. To a certain degree, it's not do as you will. You, you still do have to respond and I'm still going to be there to help. I also make them feel very confident. You know, I give them bigger roles in my staff. I truly do want their success and I'm going to be there every step of the way. It's not like, hey, just do this and I'll leave. I'm truly there like 
coaching them, helping them through the entire process. I, I, you know, doing weekly calls, doing evaluations, making sure they know what the average is, this, make sure they know what they should be looking at. You know, I'm very open about when it comes to what I do on a day to day so that they way not exactly model it because it's not like, you know, a lot of branches are not going to have like 18 a.m. like I have right now or 4 a.m. or even 1 a.m. So they're not going to have that. But I do give them a day to day of how I think when I'm promoting an event, I give them a day to day what I'm promoting, you know, team meetings. Uh, they, they hear me constantly in PDI. They take notes and. I do think that availability to lead other people and giving them that confidence, like, hey, I already did it, you know, for David's office. I think that's key and important. I like my development feeling that if they did it for, you know, my office, why wouldn't they be able to do it for their own? Like, you know, if if you had a team in my office, like you ran a small team or whatever, you ran interviews and you had a 30, 40, 50% show in my office, why couldn't you do that for yours? Mm-hmm. You know, so instilling that confidence in them, I think, is key just for their overall success during the summer. And that's something I've I've always done since I've started development people, and it's I, something I plan on keep doing because I think it is part of the keys to their success. Yeah, well, that's great. It's great to hear. It's great work that you've done uh, with those candidates that have come up in your office. I, you know, the the branch category you really dominated in that category with the performance of your of your people and in particular at the top Christina Fernandez was number 5 in the company as a branch manager and Alejandra Carrasco was number 2 in the company as a branch manager last summer so kudos to you for the the role you played in helping make that happen it's mostly kudos to them they did it i just gave them platform to do it themselves. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Now, I know, David, that your path to all of this success has not been easy. And I I would like our audience to be able to hear about some of the adversities that you've overcome along the way. Could you share a couple key things? The entire story would be, you know, I, uh, like I said, I I ran a 14K branch. So that by itself wasn't fun. You know, I, I, I didn't leave that with a lot of confidence. When I did reopen as district in 2017, I, I made sure I, I went fully and prepared. Uh, we actually ended up uh, breaking the record for the biggest summer the Maya West uh, district had at the moment. We were the number one new district office in the Civil Cup for the entire summer. We were actually very excited. We were killing it. And then Maria came, which uh, actually we got two hurricanes during the, that September, which was Irma. Uh, we try to we try to fight back Irma. After Irma, I ran trainings without any power. I ran team meetings while I ran training without any power in my very small office. You know, my reps were charging their their phones in their cars and they were making calls while they were charging their phones in the cars. Oh. Uh, we had headlamps so that they could read their manuals because there wasn't a lot of light into in the office. So, and you know, we tried to find that one, but then Maria came, and you know that that kind of destroyed us a bit. You know, we. In my side of the island, you know, where I lived at the moment, we lost power and water for eight months. And it was a scary time. You know, I remember sitting down with my TLA class at the moment. We were four people. They were the last ones. And the way we communicated, we were going to meet up that time. It was uh, we left sticky notes in the door of the of the office complex. And we left notes saying like, hey, is everybody okay?" And I went there, I drove to the office every day through the rumble and everything and uh, just communicated through that. I remember sitting down with them, cleaning out the entire office, closing it down basically. And it was a very powerful time that truly marked me. I remember it was me, my 4 a.m.s. We, we cleaned the office. We sat down on the floor reminiscing during the entire summer at the dark eating our meal, our rations, because I didn't know if if they had food or if they were able to get to food. So uh, um, I got a box of military rations that I took from my family. So I delivered that to them because I I knew we had other things. So I remember us all sitting down eating that horrible lasagna of military rations, uh, just laughing. And, you know, from that summer, I actually came 
just one person survived, which was Patricia Amador. She, I will always have her in my heart because I'll never forget the conversation when I decided to reopen the island and in the island, you know, uh, Scott said like, Hey David, you might take a hit, but long run, I think you'll, you'll profit. And he was definitely right. And I remember when we threw out projections after the eight months of the hurricane for reopening the summer afterwards, we were projected to lose 75% of business. Uh, we were projected to, uh, you know, San Juan usually was a uh, 500, half a mil to 600, 750,000 to over a million dollar office. Uh, Scott projected that we would sell 100K, 125, I think. And I remember sitting down with Patricia telling her, hey, I'm going to reopen the office and I want you to move with me all the way to the other side of the island. I want you to put your studies on hold. And that's why she'll always have a place in my heart because I, I, I'll never forget the conversation where she told me, David, honestly, just tell me what you need me to do and I'll do it. I'll follow you wherever. And I remember sitting down and being like, you know what? We're not going to sell 100K. We ended up selling that summer after Hurricane 400. Uh, I think it was a little bit over 400K in just the eight months that we were open. At 460, I think, was the number to be exact, somewhere around that line. After that, we we were excited again. You know, that was the moment, you know, we got another district. That, that summer, actually, we got four districts. Four districts started that summer. We got Patricia, which later on became Take Maya West from me. We got Claudia, which right now runs Kawas. During that summer, Christina Fernandez actually came back because she actually AM'd uh, in Jacksonville during that summer, but she came back to the island and... So that was another district that now turned. We also got Sophia from that summer, which was one of my branches during this summer. But now she's taking the district off, uh, district manager opportunity as well. So during that unprecedented summer, we actually got four people that would eventually turn into districts. After that summer, 2018, 2019, we're ready. We were going to kill it. And then we actually got into huge riots during the because during the SE2 push, so in the biggest summer, we were ready to kill it. We were ready to have that $750,000 year to catapult us to the $1 million year. We actually had to basically close down the offices. Uh, during a while, we actually told the reps, you know, their street were closed. I actually had to take out a big map of the islands of the streets and draw maps to like, hey, you can actually get to your to this house if you follow this road. And that way, it's not it's not closed down by the riot. Wow. Um, Tell me more about what was happening in the summer of 2019. So 2019, huge scandal with the government and, you know, Puerto Ricans don't, don't tread lightly. So we, they, you know, they, it was kind of like, uh, they closed down everything. They, you know, it was just like big riots that lasted a couple of weeks. I remember running with my, uh, with my, my, one of my assistants to one of the riots just to take a picture just because one of the clients told them like, hey, if you want me to buy something, show me you're in the riot. And then we can do the demo after the riot. But that demo didn't happen for like, you know, five weeks after that, uh, during SC2. Uh, and we still ended up, you know, winning the uh, trophy in the regional level. Uh, I think we finished at a little bit over 100K for that SC2. So uh, that was that year. And then 2020, actually for us, it started with earthquakes. You know, 2019 by December, we got hit with a couple multiple er earthquakes. That's why I kind of, I think I was so mad at Scott because I was like, no, this is a year that nothing's going to happen. You know, there's no hurricanes. You, we're, we're past hurricanes, he said. We're going to sell a million dollars. There's no way. And then, you know, we got hit with like a 6.4, 6.5 earthquake that literally shattered the island. I remember running team meetings. And I have pictures and everything. I remember running team meetings with hard hats and the headlights just in case, you know, the earthquakes started happening because they, they were consistent for like an entire month. I remember having to close down my office for the basically the entire month of January. Though we were really not running any office functions. We were mostly just selling off what the, t what the team was at the moment. I remember running the team meetings not in my office, but at Starbucks because, you know, we didn't have power. So that, that's how that year started. And then I, and you know, that's why it's funny because that was the year I, I said, like, is that all you got world throw more? And right after <laughs> it's I your said fault. that, it's your fault. 
here's the thing my am say it is my fault because uh, i literally yell like is that all you got we got this and then at that moment an earthquake came and literally an electric pole fell right in front of my car and started like lighting the fa- uh, the ground of fire it was like a movie i was like oh i should stop saying that and then we just got the consistent earthquakes and that's how our january started and then you know like everybody else we we got hit with corona Right. And so it's been one year, one year after the next. It's all the adversity that makes it fun, I think. I'm not going to lie. It makes it a challenge. And there are days where I'm like, what next? But it's been an interesting ride. Yeah, man. So just to rewind that, 2017 was one of the most devastating hurricanes ever to hit Puerto Rico. Yep. Right. And this was in September, August or September. September or beginning of September. Yeah. Yeah. So you had just completed a great summer as a new DM. You were you were rocking. You were competing at the highest level, and this hurricane comes, devastates the island, and essentially the entire island was closed for many months after that. Yes, and you basically had to go through this period of six to eight months where there wasn't anything happening. Essentially, reopened from scratch with one rep, Patricia right? And build your team again in 2018. That is incredible that you made it just through that, much less all this other stuff that happened later. It's definitely fun. I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm very proud that I was able to hold it all in because I do get uh, emotional and feely, especially during the 2017, 2018 year, you know, and uh, the story goes on and, and there are definitely a lot of stories and times during that time where, you know, there were moments where I didn't know if I I was going to, you know, there were moments where we were like, yeah, we should eat a little bit less because we don't know if we can get to the supermarket. You know, I remember having to wake up, go to a river to try to fill like a a water container just so we could take baths or we could have clean water. You know, I think uh, there were times where thankfully one of my neighbors actually offered up his pool water to, to, if we wanted to use it. You know, I remember taking showers in the, uh, in the rain just so we could conserve that water. Wow. So a little bit of everything. So I am actually very proud that I was able to hold it all in. Where did you find the resolve to keep moving forward through all that? It was tough. During that time, especially my, my mom was, uh, she's a first responder, kind of. She, she works for the government. And, you know, it, sometimes I would see her get home you know, late at night when there was no light, you know, it was super dangerous for her. And, you know, there, there were days where she would come in and be like, yeah, we lost two people today, or we just found this body or somebody's trapped here or stuff like that. And I knew that it was tough for my dad, you know, also working, also looking for water. And I, I, for me, I was, I was pampered in that sense that, you know, they, they kind of took care of everything. And then they really took care of us. And I thought, like, if they're taking care of us in that way, the least I can do is be the rock, you know, be there for them, just listen to them. Also, uh, Jeff and Scott did have a great help in this because for the, you know, we once the hurricane happened, we actually had no communication for the first, I think it was two or three weeks. It was two or three weeks before I could actually text Jeff, like, hey, I'm alive. He actually didn't know anything about me for the first two or three weeks of the hurricane like it was just complete mia like you couldn't really get any type of communication i remember when i finally talked to him he's you know scott and jeff were basically saying like yeah we're flying you out of there i'm like hey i i I really can't fly out right now i remember the first time they did fly me out where i was like okay it was for like the region trip I'm like, hey, okay, let's do it. And I remember because I tried to get all my team to go. It's like, we need a break. Let's all go. And, and they, they truly did go to the end of the world to do that, they, to get us to go there. It was seeing that, that real care to like, just make sure we were okay. And then the conversations me and Jeff and Scott had in, in just separate occasions on, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? It truly wasn't like, hey, in no moment did I ever feel pressured that I had to get my office up and running again. In no moment did they ever make me feel bad that I couldn't do anything. And they give, truly gave me my space. They truly gave me support. Um, they truly helped me out and they gave me a lot of confidence to open up back up, uh, back up again. Awesome. So cool to hear, David. 
how do you use this to inspire your people? Like, how do you coach others to maintain their resolve when they're in times of struggle? I do it in two ways. Uh, I always have two sayings in my office. Um, you know, focus on the things you can control. And I did that during that time. And, and now I apply it even more than I, that I read uh, The Miracle Equation. And that was truly life-changing to me because it, it truly put a name to what I had already been doing, but it, it explained it in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. You know, but I always tell my team, hey, focus on what you can control. You know, I can't control that a hurricane happen. I can't control that we get earthquakes. I can't control what happens in the government. I have no control over those things. I do have control in how I react. I do have controls in the decisions I make and the decisions I take. I have control in the way I treat people after that. I have control in the way I view things differently. I have control of the way I, I decide to find a way which is the second thing I always say. It's like having a champions find a way mentality. You know, I always say champions find a way, losers make excuses. Because I I do truly believe that when we really want something, we always find a way. And I I always use the example of when you were little, you probably one time wanted to to go to the movies and your parents were like, oh, oh, we can't take you. And you were like, yeah, I'll find someone to take me. Oh, but I can't pick you up. Oh, don't worry, I'll find someone to pick me up. And then they're like, oh, but... Where are you gonna get the money? Oh, I'm I'm gonna use money grandma gave me. Like you find a way to you find a way. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what happens. You if you truly want something, you will find a way. But then when you don't really want it, when your heart's not in it, when you're like, yeah, I kind of want it, but at the same time, if it it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. You know, you don't do it. First, at the same example, you 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 go to the movies. You really you say you want to go to the movies. You ask your parents, they say no, and you're like, yeah, my guys, my parents said no. I I, I sorry, I can't try. They're like, oh, just ask them again. I can pick you up, whatever. And they're like, yeah, no, I'm not going to. Have you met my mom? No, I can't talk to her like that. You know, you put up an excuse or or you don't even try. You don't give it a chance. You don't give it a reason because it's not something you truly want. That's why, you know, I always tell my team, hey, if you truly want something, you will find a way. You know, and I truly did want the office to do well. I truly did want Patricia at that time to have a great experience. Uh, I truly... You know, when I started, I remember seeing Jessica and I remember thinking to myself, I don't know how, I don't know when, maybe it might never happen, but I think I want to run run it like she's running it. I want to have that. You know, I remember writing my letter of intent to become a district and I remember writing down in 2017, like, hey, I want the island to be known. I wanted to put it on the map. I wanted to to be excellence and, and I'm willing to go all the way for that. And I think back on that and I, I think of myself like, hey, I said this, I made a promise to myself and my staff, to my people, my development, and I'm going to find a way no matter what happens. So, and that's, uh, you know, again, focusing on what you can control. I, I couldn't control anything of the things that happened to me. I could control the way I help my people view things. I could control the way of the conversations I had. So Amazing. So awesome to hear. It's great to see the, the success you're having now. What opportunities uh, have has the business created for you in your life? Uh, a lot. Again, I, I came from a very, you know, traditional family of like you work, you die, you retire at sixty five, and that's it. And you know, uh, one of the things I'm I'm most happy that I found Vector and Cutco in my life is that they connected me to people that helped me think bigger. I think I'm on pace to be the first millionaire in my family before the age of 30. I save up $170,000 this year. I want to save at least 250 to 280 this year to get that that bucket and I it's not only helping me in my personal life, I think of my family, I think it's helping my family think a little better for their life and the life that they can have. And it's opened up their mind to, you know, they hear these numbers. And I, sometimes I talk to them about money because I'm very open about money. I, I, I've always been open about money. If you don't talk about it, you can't learn. And, you know, whenever I, I know whenever I throw these numbers, they're like, how, why? And it, it truly does expand the mind. So that's definitely one of the biggest financial lessons I've gotten from Vector and one of the biggest financial, you know, building blocks I've had. And I can do that not just for my family, for myself, but also for my reps. So it's also exciting. It's also created me an opportunity to travel a ridiculous amount, which I'd love. There's nothing I love more than eating and traveling. 
you know, I, I am a, a foodie. Uh, I love visiting Michelin star restaurants. I actually have a, a top five list of, of restaurants. I, re- I want to travel around the world. One of my biggest, I guess, like a flex, you could say it's like I've been to many, many Michelin star restaurants. I've had $600, $1,000 dinners. You know, I've had trips around the world. I, I travel, you know, the year before 2020, uh, 2019, I actually traveled 40 times, I think it was. You know, me and Jeff counted it up. I think it was like three or four months where I was, you know, traveling. And you took a dream trip, I heard. Uh, I went to Asia. I went to Japan. Uh, it was great. I've always wanted to go. And I was, it, it, the funny thing, it was a spur on the moment. I remember talking to one of my friends and he said, like, oh, we're thinking about going to Asia. And I'm like, okay, done. Book it. Like, yeah, we're going. And that happened at the beginning of the summer, uh, 2019. And by the end, I, I, I was on a plane to Japan. I went to one of the top restaurants in the world, which is in Japan. And it, it was truly an experience. And yeah. Which restaurant? Narisawa. Narisawa. I have likewise been to one of the top restaurants in the world in Japan. Have you seen the documentary Jiro Dreams of Sushi? I have not, but I will now. You you definitely need to see that now. So because I have de- I have been to that sushi place. So we have we have that in common that we like to go to nice high end places and and then I love to hear also that the flip side of that is you've also saved one hundred and seventy thousand dollars for the year in twenty twenty. And you're how old? I am twenty six. Twenty six. And you also saved just bought my house property first house first property also bought which was exciting. Bought your first property, saved 170 grand, experienced a bunch of high-end Michelin star restaurants in your life. And you've got that full balance of living well, but also being really smart financially and accumulating for your future. That's incredible. Really, really, really incredible. David, this has been awesome. Uh, It's been really great getting to know you. I just want to wrap this up by asking you, you know, as you look into the future, what are you most excited about? The opportunity for growth. I and what I mean by that is that even though we had our best year, even and even though we're super proud, we made so many mistakes along the way, or or there are so many areas where we could have done better. And you know, the COVID took us by surprise. So we were learning, we were adapting. I can just imagine what a year can do where we we are not taken by surprise. Uh, where I, I'm excited about, you know. Literally, uh, right now, my but I have so much development that I'm spreading it out through the entire island that I'm spreading out to the entire division and, you know, and they, maybe the, the entire region at one point. And that's what's exciting. I look at the future and I, I look so much opportunity for growth in the company. And I, I think, and my, I might be wrong, uh, but I think to, uh, this has been the biggest year in Vector's history. Yep. And I, I'm just excited to see what we can do now that we're not going to be taken by surprise and we are getting things buttoned up. I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that. I'm excited to, to learn through the, to be part of the roller coaster and to see what, what's up in the horizon. Cause I do think this is half a million dollar company and maybe even a billion dollar company. So I, I, I truly want to be a part of that. And that's what excites me. Yeah, here, here. The road to uh, half a billion or even to get to one billion. Uh, it's going to be a fun road. And uh, it looks like you're going to be a big player in making that happen. Along the way, there's going to be lots of great times. There's going to be lots of great successes. There's also going to be plenty more adversities like some of the ones you've experienced in the past. But you've clearly shown that you know how to deal with that type of thing, that uh, you have the resolve to move past anything that is thrown at you and to achieve the goals that you set out to achieve. I've really enjoyed hearing your story and your insights here today, David. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. All right. That was David Vargas Roldan. Man, you listen to that. I would hope that anybody listening is thinking, what excuses could I have after listening to that guy describe his story, where he's come from, and what he is accomplishing now? Uh, $14,000 branch office. Well, he wasn't defined by that failure. 
he learned, evolved, grew from that into someone capable of being successful, opened up, was competing at a high level as a district manager, and then bam, Hurricane Maria came to Puerto Rico. And most of us know what happened there, where the whole island was just shut down for many, many months. The depth of the challenge that David went through during those times was really incredible to hear. Came back from that, rebuilt, right? Built a new team, got it going on, right? 2019, we're ready to take it to a much higher level, set the stage for a million dollar year. Riots come along, island closes down again. Starts 2020, has earthquakes happening. Most of January is shot. Wow, every reason to not follow through on the big goals that he had for himself. And yet, look at the end result as 2020 finished on top of his category in the Vector World, Silver Cup champion. Champions find a way, David said. The importance of focusing on what you can control is such a key thing to remind ourselves of whenever any adversity strikes or during any period of uncertainty. And, you know, having that resolve that you're going to succeed regardless of what comes your way is what separates champions from all the rest. And all the rest tend to look at those champions and say, wow, I wish my life could be like theirs. Well, maybe you don't. Look at those challenges that David had to go through to get to where he has been, to get to where he is now. It's really, really incredible to see what he has done. Hope you enjoyed hearing David's story and all of his lessons. I hope it inspired you about the future and the potential that you have. I want to thank my friends at Organifi for sponsoring this podcast. Organifi is the Cutco of superfood blends. I was introduced to Organifi's green juice blend a few years ago. Organifi uses the highest quality plant-based ingredients, and it's easy to use. You just mix a couple spoonfuls with water or your favorite beverage. You don't even need a blender. For about two to three bucks per day, you can get your day started with a great-tasting, nutritious green juice containing 11 superfoods like moringa, spirulina, beets, turmeric, and other all-natural organic ingredients. You can check out Organifi's green juice along with their full line of their products at Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. You get 15% off everything that they carry by using the discount code CLSK. Those are the initials for changing lives, selling knives. I'm excited to bring on some sponsors that sell things I believe in and would use myself and that are of Cutco quality. Try out something from Organifi today and enter CLSK when you check out to get that discount on anything you order. Again, go to Organifi.com. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 